You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. They are still talking, and that's a good thing, as the union representing bus employees tries to negotiate a better deal with its employer. The two sides have only a few more hours to head off a full-scale shutdown of the system tomorrow. Grace Key is live outside the Western Bayshore, where talks have been going on for about four hours now, which is probably a good sign. Grace, what's the mood there? <laughs> Well, they aren't speaking to media right now. Actually, it looks like we've just got some of the Coast Mountain folks just coming out of one of their rooms. You know, this is something that we've actually seen throughout the day. You've got different uh, members of the bargaining committee uh, kind of going from room to room. So they're discussing with the other side, and then they go back uh, to their room for more discussion. So that's something that we have seen throughout the day. But like you said, it is certainly a good sign that they are still talking since that happened at about 2 o'clock this afternoon. And also significant, you know, you really know know that it's kind of this last-ditch effort when you do have all the heavy hitters out. So we've got the Unifor National President, Jerry Diaz. He is here. He is considered the closer in these agreements. Uh, TransLink CEO Kevin Desmond, as well as Mike McDaniel of Coast Mountain Bus Company, they are all here. In fact, there was a noon meeting between the TransLink and union heads. Now, this was what they called an exploratory discussion. It lasted for about 20 minutes. Uh, TransLink CEO Kevin Desmond is, in fact, still here, though he's not part of the bargaining committee. Now, the company is not making any statements during negotiations. We did speak with the head of the union, who did talk about the head of TransLink being here. Because if you take a look at the board right now of TransLink, I mean, you have a board with a lot of people who, frankly, should be the ones entrusted to make the decisions and are taking a hands-off approach. So the fact that uh, Mr. Desmond came forward and started to take a more of a public role means that at least people are starting to understand what's going to happen tonight at midnight is real. This isn't a bluff. As you say, Grace, some heavy hitters there. So that's uh, a good sign we think. Uh, on another positive note, as we mentioned, they are still talking at this hour because the last meeting a couple of weeks ago between these two sides ended very quickly. Yeah, so the first day they did have uh, a pretty much a full day of negotiations. It was the second day that lasted for maybe an hour, and then that's when there was an impasse and both sides pulled away. So, again, the fact that they are still talking, the longer they talk, obviously, is a good sign. So this could go into, you know, possibly midnight or beyond that. Sophie? Thanks for that. Grace Key reporting live tonight. And we're going to bring in Sarah McDonald now to find out how commuters are preparing for the worst while still hoping for the best. Sarah, what are you hearing out there? Well, Chris, that's right. Yeah, well, buckle up, because if that full work stoppage does go into effect tomorrow, even transit riders with the best laid plans could find themselves stranded in the morning. are likely your best bet tomorrow morning when it comes to getting where you need to go. If buses and sea buses do indeed go offline, TransLink beefing up its SkyTrain service, adding extra trains and cars and allowing bikes on board in an effort to accommodate the tens of thousands of commuters that will find themselves stranded without bus and sea bus service. And some car share services will also be extending their boundaries for members. At UBC and SFU, students are looking at making alternate travel arrangements Let's take a listen to what they had to say when we spoke with them earlier, the, earlier this afternoon. 
up for a system-wide stoppage, unlike anything this province has seen in nearly two decades. It really freaks me out. With the clock now ticking on 11th hour negotiations, transit riders and providers alike are scrambling. Tens of thousands of commuters gearing up to be left in the lurch. I don't think I'm going to even go to school. Um, go. No. With buses and sea buses potentially parked for 72 hours. Rapid transit would be picking up the slack and TransLink is bracing for a SkyTrain system at peak capacity. We'll be examining the situation in the crowds as, as these times go by and adding more trains if necessary. But extra runs and additional cars won't save these commuters on the North Shore. Probably won't be able to bus home, have to walk home. Well, I'm coming to North Bend today to see my parents because uh, I won't be able to tomorrow. Or students on campuses across Metro Vancouver, largely left to their own devices. We'll yeah. just carpool. Some people just don't have a way and they can't find a carpool. So Even those who do could still be in for a rough ride with a shortage of car share vehicles anticipated, even as some companies extend their boundaries. Authorities reminded stranded, desperate commuters not to compromise safety. If you're going to be using uh, perhaps a carpool platform that you haven't used in the past or you're going to be traveling with somebody that, that isn't well known to you, uh, let somebody know where you're going to be. And let's not forget the congestion. For those in cars, up to 36,000 additional vehicles expected on city streets. I'd have to save money for taxis. That figure not including cabs with every available car and every fleet in service. It's going to be crazy, you know, more traffic and more uh, cars right. on the road, so traffic would be worse. Good Samaritans with vehicles like Jody Loudfoot also putting on mileage, volunteering to drive neighbors in need of a lift free of charge. I just posted something online to say if people in the neighborhood need rides in the morning, like from Wednesday to Friday, that I could help out. With both sides in a bitter dispute over money now back at the table, but still tens of millions of dollars apart. All right, Sarah, we know it's a midnight deadline. Wednesday will come very early, but what is the union saying about when the work stoppage will actually come into effect? Well, Chris, that's right, and that is the big question for so many tonight. TransLink telling us just moments before we came on air that the night bus actually would be impacted if no deal is reached. The first bus that would go offline departing Coquitlam at 3 o'clock this morning. Uh, Chris, no doubt transit riders will wake up to a very different landscape and a very challenging commute if talks break off again. All right, let's hope they keep talking. Thanks very much for that, Sarah. And just a reminder that we will be following this story, obviously, all night on BC1 and finally on the news at 11 as well. So keep it tuned right here for the latest information. Well, a candlelight vigil is being uh, planned for an international student found murdered in a Surrey home. The family of 21-year-old Pravleen Kaur Mathru appearing in media reports on television in India. Her father says she received a call from Canadian police who told him his daughter had been murdered. Police believe Mathru, a student at Langara, was killed in an apparent murder-suicide. Investigators say an 18-year-old male from the Lower Mainland was also found dead in the home. They're not looking for any other suspects. A vigil for Mathru is planned for this Saturday at Surrey's Holland Park. Her father tells Global News he is trying to get a visa to come to B.C. The city of Vancouver has an ambitious agenda, and it looks like Vancouver homeowners are going to have to pay for it. 
The city wants money to cover the costs of homelessness and climate change, among other things. And it's considering a property tax hike of over 8% next year. But as Aaron MacArthur explains, some say the bump could actually help make the city more affordable. Expect life to get more expensive in the city of Vancouver. Next week's city council will tackle next year's budget. On the table, an 8.2% hike in property taxes. But there's more. With utility increases and fees, the total hike will be 9.3%. It's the largest increase in more than a decade. And I get it that 8.2% is a big lift, but I also get that we need to do something to tackle the problems that have not been solved over the last 10 years. The budget for 2020, assuming it passes as is, will see spending of $1.62 billion. That's $111 million more than this year. Much of the spending is to provide core services, maintaining current staffing levels and priorities. That will take up $53.6 million. Filling in gaps in service will account for $40 million more. That will see the hiring of 25 new cops and 30 new firefighters. The new council also has new priorities, including fighting climate change. All that adds up to a further $23.8 million. I think that these increases are too high and we need to look at a way to tighten our belt a bit and uh, in line with what Vancouverites and residents are having to do themselves. I'm disappointed that we're not seeing that in the budget that's come back. While city life is getting more expensive, when it comes to property taxes, Vancouver is lower than the regional median. Housing advocates say artificially low property taxes contribute to housing unaffordability. And economists argue homeowners are getting a bargain compared to the rest of the country. We have lower property taxes as a fraction of the value of homes. Uh, in terms of dollars, we're a little bit low. Uh, but, you know, as an economist, I think of what percentage you're paying, and we're quite low even for Canada. The 9.3% hike will amount to just about $350 a year for the average homeowner, 30 bucks a month. But add that to the 4% plus hikes residents have seen over the last three years. Council set to debate the draft budget at a special meeting December 3rd. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And staying on the topic of money, while B.C. is still in good shape, according to our finance minister, the province is reducing its expected surplus this fiscal year. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria to explain where we're slowing down and why a dwindling surplus is a concern. Uh, yes, indeed, Sophie. Here it is, the latest quarterly report. Sort of a glass half full, half empty type of thing, depending on how you want to view things. Good news is it's sur a surplus, but it's starting to shrink. And the reason why deficits want to be avoided by government, it makes borrowing costs more expensive. That takes potentially takes money out of service delivery. Uh, but here are the numbers from Carol James today. Again, as I mentioned, there is a surplus, but it's shrinking. It's way down from what was in the budget. It's now at $148 million, a razor-thin margin uh, compared to what was back in February. Also, some negative numbers on some sort of economic uh, indicators, which are cause for concern. A decline in retail sales, exports, and home sales. All that means the economy is starting to shrink a bit. Forestry, uh, for example, uh, in crisis. Revenues down $110 million from what was expected. That number will likely grow as the crisis continues. And finally, ICBC continues to be a problem. The potential loss there of $500 million because of a, a court case that alone will cost $400 million was not factored in this report. So that surplus is in peril, depending on what happens with ICBC. And Carol James addressed the ICBC situation in a Q&A with reporters today.
ICBC is looking at options to be able to mitigate the court uh, decision. So until we get that information in and we take a look at what savings they may project from a different direction or another direction, um, we won't be able to account for how much that's going to take out of the budget. But you are quite right, the $400 million is a number that I've continued uh, to utilize as an impact of the court case. But if we look at other savings, that's obviously going to reduce down. All right, sort of on to another topic. Uh, Keith, Carol James made some comments today that could have an impact on those stalled teacher contract mm -hmm. talks. Yeah, she was asked point blank, any chance you could sweeten the pot here uh, on the ta with the table with the teachers in terms of getting a deal? She was adamant that uh, absolutely not. Uh, the, the negotiating mandate will not be expanded. Funding education down the road is an open question for debate. But in terms of the mandate at the table, uh, no. She says no extra money for the negotiators, which means uh, she's holding the line pretty tough here, I think. Mm. All right. Thanks for that, Keith Baldry and Victoria. Yeah. Right now, though, an investigation by federal and provincial watchdogs has found a Victoria-based tech firm broke Canadian privacy laws. The newly released report indicates Aggregate IQ disclosed the personal information of millions of voters in B.C., the United States and the U.K. Ted Chernecki has more on the breach and the link to another global scandal. Forget diamonds and gold and oil. The world's most valuable commodity today is you. All that data harvested over the years is power unprecedented. But why should anyone in BC care that a Victoria company played a significant role in helping Britain leave the European Union? We've got our country back! They and every other Canadian company doing work abroad still remain subject to the privacy laws in this country. Aggregate IQ is even more involved with an American midterm election and a presidential candidacy. It uploaded to Facebook thousands of personal files, arguing that that information came from third-party data clients and wasn't subject to Canadian consent laws. But the report said it was. So it was from ethnicity to race to voting, um, uh, voting intentions in past elections, obviously pretty sensitive information. But complaints to Facebook to change its ways were ignored. So... We are about to uh, go to the federal court to uh, require Facebook to comply with uh, the recommendations we made uh, a few months ago. Todd Stone. The privacy commissioners even looked at AIQ's involvement in the B.C. Liberal leadership and race and found some non-compliance issues. The report says there's nothing illegal about using sophisticated data analysis, but that data has to be collected with proper consent. Today's ruling involves no fines. Unfortunately, now in Canada generally, uh, the deterrence and the provisions in place legally are not strong enough. Uh, Just fess up. Did you say it was totally illegal? Mr. Angus, we're trying to... In a statement, Aggregate IQ said it was happy to cooperate fully with the commissioners, and as we told them long ago, we have implemented all of the recommendations. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, for a moment this morning, it looked like winter had arrived in Metro Vancouver, with some areas getting a few centimeters of snow. There is no more precipitation in the forecast for the next few days, but municipalities are preparing for temperatures that will remind us winter is coming. At Lookout Housing and Health, preparations are underway for cold conditions. Their extreme weather shelter now open offering eight mats for anyone who is homeless. 
These men and women are out there uh, all the time and they're, they're not only just trying to keep themselves out of the wet and the cold, but it's the wind and then they're trying to find food and they're trying to find shelter. So this response system gives them the opportunity to connect not only with food, shelter and things like that, but they're able to connect with essential services. Still needed at the lookout, cold weather gear. We're always in need of things like toques, jackets, um, warm gloves, blankets. At Vancouver's Union Gospel Mission, they're also requesting donations, which they'll be giving to people in the coming days. Gloves and mittens um, that we're handing out. We have things like socks, warm underwear, long underwear, and then we have sweaters, jackets, um, and then in extreme cases we have things like uh, sleeping bags. Those basic necessities making a huge difference for anyone on the street. I don't know, it's not very comfortable being cold if you're sleeping outside unless you get blankets and then wool socks, have boots, gloves, toque, have a scarf, just have good thick stuff, you know. Also bracing for plunging temperatures, Main Road, the highway maintenance contractor. This year we anticipated using about 2 million litres of brine and about 2,600 metric tons of salt. Not surprisingly, snow supplies are in sharp demand at hardware stores. Everyone, it seems, readying themselves for winter. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. And that brings us to the burning question, what kind of winter are we in for this season? As meteorologist Christy Gordon explains, it could be a very interesting few months. That's right. So if this year's winter forecast is a bit different than most, normally we look to climate patterns like the El Nino Southern Oscillation, or ENSO, to help us predict our winter weather. But this year, it's not going to be an El Nino or a La Nina year. ENSO is in neutral. So what then? Well, we turn to other lesser-known climate patterns that are always there, but they're generally overshadowed by ENSO. The problem is these climate patterns are short-term, and that means instead of the winter being characterized as generally warm and dry or cold and wet, the winter would be better characterized as being volatile, with large swings in both temperature and precipitation. So what would that look like? Well, the months would be filled, would likely be filled with bursts of calmer periods and stormy periods with wind, rain, or snow. So yes, you definitely need your winter tires this year. And if you're a skier, well, you better get your boards waxed. Enzo neutral years tend to produce near average snowfall in the mountains. And I urge you to check out my winter forecast online for much more information. Christy, thank you. We'll talk to you in a bit. Fireworks at sunrise signify the start of the billion dollar lobster season in Nova Scotia. It's called dumping day when traps are dumped into the ocean by about 1,700 boats. They'll pull them up tomorrow for their first indication of what this year's catch will be like. This year, one boat is making history. Nellie's Row has what's believed to be the first all-female crew. Captain Gail Atkinson grew up lobster fishing with her father on the very same boat. CN trains will be running again tomorrow morning, averting what could have been a serious blow to the Canadian economy. The railway and its employees have reached a tentative agreement ending a one-week strike. 3,200 workers walked off the job over concerns about long hours and what they called dangerous working conditions. No details of the deal have been released. 
Well, it can happen on a bus, in a shopping mall, or in a crowded nightclub. Groping is enough of a problem that Vancouver police, transit police, and Bar Watch are embarking on a campaign to stamp it out. As Nadia Stewart reports, whether you're female or male, they want people to know that any sexual contact, uh, contact without consent is sexual assault. It is a problem Vancouver police say they are still called to investigate regularly. Cases of unwanted sexual touching, more commonly known as groping. Everybody knows somebody or is somebody who has been sexually assaulted. The VPD, Transit Police and Bar Watch joining forces on their latest campaign, reiterating their zero tolerance policy no matter where or when these incidents happen. Whether you're a student on a bus or you are a server in a bar, uh, or you're a customer in a restaurant, no person should have to tolerate this, uh, this kind of uh, behavior. It's the kind of behavior that prompted former Global News employee Melissa Bedford to launch a Twitter account documenting repeated instances where she was a victim on her daily SkyTrain commute. Transit police say they dealt with 160 investigations for sexual offenses in 2018. And in bars and restaurants, the problem is just as pervasive. I would say that probably every single girl I know or has worked for me in the past 10 years has had some sort of experience to report on this. Vancouver police say these incidents are considered sexual assault. That's the charge perpetrators face. It's estimated one in three women will be a victim of this crime in their lifetime, and one in six men will too. In both cases, these crimes are often underreported, particularly among men. Their hesitancy to report is embedded in reality. I do think that they are less likely to be taken seriously with these types of reports. I think that a lot of education has to take place so that people have more awareness that this type of trauma lands fairly similarly in men as it does in women. Vancouver police say they take every report they receive seriously. We want anybody who has been the victim of a sexual assault uh, to call police so that we can investigate thoroughly. Nadia Stewart, Global News. A warning now about this next story. The bizarre subject matter will be unsettling for some people. Toronto police are investigating the third report in four days of a suspect dumping liquefied feces on people, apparently at random. It's a stressful time of the year for university students. Not only are they grappling with course load and upcoming exams, they are also looking over their shoulders. Some people even said they were considering not coming to classes and not doing evaluations because they're so afraid of this happening to them. Police would like to speak to this man, wanted in connection to a string of stomach-churning assaults. The most recent happened Monday on College Street outside the University of Toronto's Convocation Hall. A bucket of what is believed to be urine and feces was poured all over a female student. In these cases, they were all blitzed. And what I mean by blitzed is that unsuspectingly, so they were dumped something on them. An important piece of evidence was discarded right here on this sidewalk. The bucket police believe was used in last night's attack. It's being tested not just for fingerprints and DNA, but also to determine if what was inside that bucket was actually indeed fecal matter. Police say it looks like feces and smells like it as well. Is it fecal matter or is it something that's made up to look like and smell like? Um, is it, uh, and if it turns out that it is, is it human? As this bizarre story makes headlines across the country, students are weighing in. I just think this guy is really terrible and like the sooner he's caught the better, you know, like 
it's definitely not right in his head. <laughs> Personally, I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a sane person would do that. No, these are innocent people that are just doing their own thing. The first incident occurred last Friday at U of T and the second Sunday at York University's Kiel campus. I find this kind of behavior inexplicable. You just can't understand why anybody would go around and do this kind of thing. Uh, I just hope that uh, people support the police in trying to track this person down. Both campuses have heightened security measures and are working with police. Morgan Campbell, Global News. Now to Albania, where the death toll has climbed to 21 after a 6.4 magnitude earthquake struck the southern Balkans. Some apartment buildings and hotels collapsed and rescue crews are working around the clock trying to find survivors trapped in the rubble. In a town where several people died, rescue workers find a man alive in the rubble. Crews use heavy equipment and dig with their hands looking for more survivors of the strong magnitude 6.4 quake. A little boy found trapped but alive and eventually freed. Drone video shows the scramble to save survivors and recover the dead after their homes collapsed on them as they slept. The earth started shaking before dawn in Albania, followed by scores of aftershocks. Felt from Bosnia to Greece, knocking groceries from store shelves in Montenegro. The quake centered near Tirana, Albania's capital. This man called the earthquake very powerful, the damage colossal. Hundreds of injured people filling the wards of a trauma center. The bodies of others who did not escape alive loaded onto ambulances, their loved ones racked with grief. Survivors now staying outside, unable or unwilling to go back home. Soldiers setting up tents for an improvised evacuation center. Rescue teams from European neighbors have already arrived. Just two months ago, another quake hit this country, damaging some 500 homes. But the latest one is the strongest to hit quake-prone Albania in decades. Barry Arendt, NBC News. In Southern California tonight, firefighters and residents near Santa Barbara are dealing with the new normal, a late-season wildfire that exploded overnight. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Evacuated homeowners raced down a mountain road, flames coming within inches of their cars. The cave fire has scorched more than 1,600 hectares with winds of up to 90 kilometers an hour. 5,000 people have been evacuated. It's still unclear what sparked this, but first responders say California's changing climate is fueling the fires. Now, caught on video, an unexpected traffic hazard courtesy of Mother Nature. A news crew was among the many motorists stopped in their tracks in northern Colorado by that huge herd of elk that decided at that moment to cross the road. There's no word on how long traffic was stopped, but judging by the size of the herd, hopefully no one was in a hurry. That's going to go on for a while. Mm-hmm. All right, in health matters tonight, BC's Children's Watchdog has issued a damning report on the tragic life and death of a young man who fell through the cracks of government care. The boy named Romain in the report to protect his privacy and his families suffered from multiple psychiatric disorders. 
cover of the report caught in the middle designed as a tribute to Romaine's love of comics. Inside, the details are anything but entertaining. Romaine was placed in government care at the age of 11 when his mother couldn't cope with his challenges. While there, Romaine claimed he was sexually abused and physically assaulted. He was moved more than 40 times in Alberta and B.C. After one move from Alberta to B.C. at the age of 13, the B.C. government wasn't notified until two months later. In his next move back to Alberta, he was returned to the very same residence where he had been abused. Romaine died of an accidental fentanyl overdose in May of 2017. Alberta shares significant responsibility for the outcome for this child as well. Um, having said that, certainly following the protocol and ensuring that the communications, the information sharing, the assessments and the care planning, and in this case, money became an issue. And so it's very important that money and the cost of services not get in the way of the services that a child needs. Among six recommendations in the report, the Children's Watchdog says the province should review and improve its interprovincial protocols and appoint a full-time interprovincial coordinator. Celebrities around the world are showering birthday wishes on a musical legend who's celebrating a milestone. The one and only Tina Turner has released a special message via Twitter on her 80th, yes, 80th birthday. What did I think? How did I think I would be at 80? Not like this. How is this? Oh, well, I look great. <laughs> I feel good. You certainly do. Earlier this month, Turner surprised the audience at the Broadway opening of the musical based on her life. In her recent memoir, Turner revealed that she suffered a stroke in 2013 and later received a donated kidney from her husband after fighting cancer. I've gone through some very serious sicknesses that I'm overcoming. So it's like having a second chance at life. I'm happy to be an 80-year-old woman. She's amazing. She sure is. She looks great. <laughs> A TV correspondent couldn't stand still during his live report. After the forecast, why viewers and even his co-hosts couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> he, was, he was having a rough day. It can happen in live television. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see what's going on in the weather right now. We'll bring in uh, Christy right now with details of a wind warning, Christy. Yes, extreme winds expected for parts of Metro Vancouver. Even just quick look at some of the imagery from earlier today. Higher elevations of Port Moody really getting the worst of it. Parts of Vancouver Island as well. Most areas it looked like this where it just accumulated on the grass. But yes, that was our first snowfall of the season. And now we've got more wind warnings so uh, or weather warnings. So the blue area is the area that we're talking about cold weather. So wind chills close to minus 25 in some areas. And I'm going to show you the numbers in a second. But let's focus in on the south coast where we now have these wind warnings. So we are going to see strong outflow winds develop overnight tonight. They will likely last through a good part of tomorrow where we could see uh, winds up to 70 gusts to 90 kilometers an hour. So potential power outages, certainly delays on ferries expected tomorrow. Uh, so this is for Southern Gulf Islands, Greater Victoria, House Sound, 
Fraser Valley and southeastern Metro Vancouver. So that's Surrey, Langley areas as an example. And here's the reason why. High pressure inland and a very strong low pressure center south of us. And it's pulling that Arctic air all the way from the interior out towards the coast. Strong packed lines with those pressure lines. That means those strong winds. And here's an example of what it will look like. So outflow winds tend to come from the Fraser Valley and extend downwards like this towards the southern Gulf Islands. That's why those areas are included as well as the Howe Sound region. Here are some of the numbers you can expect overnight tonight. So these on the right are the wind chills. On the left are the regular temperatures. So minus 26 in Whitehorse, minus 21 in through the Prince George region with the feels like. And in Whistler, minus 14 is the feels like. Here's your daytime highs, though be enjoying sunshine. So yes, over the next several days, you'll need your sunglasses and your parkas, that's for sure. Across Metro Vancouver, we'll likely see highs anywhere from 5 to 7 degrees. So below seasonal for this time of year. And as we approach the weekend, it gets even colder, but the sunshine continues. And I'll leave you with a somewhat stormy shot from Garden Bay on the Sunshine Coast. I like those clouds and the mist over the mountains. Yeah, lots going on in that photo. Thanks, Christy. A TV correspondent in Greece found his live report on severe weather interrupted by someone trying to hog the airtime. As reporter Lazos Mantikos tried to pass along the details of a storm, a large pig that had escaped from a farm chased him, repeatedly nipping at his legs. As his co-host back in the studio tried to contain themselves, the pig at one point lunged at him and knocked him right out of the picture. They finally cut away when it became clear Mantikos had no chance of finishing his report. <laughs> never happened. It's never happened to me. Rather that than a spider. <laughs> right? Yes. That's true. All right, Squires here. What you got? So you can for us? step on the spider. Not the I one that I to, saw, remember? Though. Oh, yeah, that thing. <laughs> uh, they move too fast, they've got eight legs. The heat is on the flames right now. In a very serious way. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Calgary Flames have said tonight that head coach Bill Peters will not be behind the bench tomorrow night against Buffalo as they continue to investigate allegations made by a former player of his, Akeem Aliou, that Peters used numerous racial slurs in a dressing room incident 10 years ago when Peters was coaching in the Chicago Blackhawks minor league system. Two teammates back then have corroborated Aliou's story today. The Flames have been checking into this since last night. And as you will hear at the moment, Peters is still the coach. Um, Bill has not been relieved of his duties. We are continuing this ongoing uh, investigation right now. Uh, we hope to have this completed quickly. But it's got to be thorough. It's got to be thorough and it's got to be done correctly. And I'm not about to um, comment on anything halfway through or give tidbits or give sound bites at this point other than to say um, the serious nature of this is not lost on us. Bruins and Canadians. Canadians have lost four straight coming into this one and the Bruins have just been rolling everybody it seems and one of the reasons is that guy David Pasternak a scoring machine early this season that's one that's two he does it on the one-timer he skates in and scores with a wrist shot and he deflects pucks as well three goals in this game and it was a beatdown. Boston eight Montreal one 
Alfonso Davies is one of the starters for Bayern Munich today in their 6-0 Champions League victory over Red Star Belgrade. He was playing left back. Now with the Whitecaps, they liked him up front more. But with all the scoring talent in Munich, Davies is finding a home on defense. And he's good with that because he just wants to play. I'm very grateful for that. Um, being able to transition from a winger to a left back. The transition was uh, pretty easy because when I was my time in Vancouver, I used to play there as well. So um, me playing left back was just me learning the, the position more and more. Apparently in Byron, when they do interviews, they also have a DJ standing by <laughs> just to add a little background music. A lot of players who don't make the NHL but still have professional skills will find a place in European hockey. And for Justin Kelly, his time playing in Germany won't ever be forgotten by the fans over there because he became basically a legend. Well, this is just the uh, jerseys they made for the retirement game. Uh, it's kind of strange to see your face on it. Not only did Justin Kelly make a name for himself overseas, he left a lasting impression. The Vancouver native spent a decade and a half playing in Europe, mostly in Germany. He won scoring titles, league MVPs, and championships. But after 14 productive years, Kelly and the trophies he earned are back home. It's been quite the ride for a BC boy who first went abroad at the tender age of 20. When I signed there in 2007, and you know, it, you don't see that how the fans react to you, and they embrace me right away. And, and I, you know, we won the first championship for the city in 2008. And that kind of was the start of kind of my reputation there and building it. All the players here are proud of this cup and we're happy to bring it home to your fans. So let's all celebrate together. Kelly learned early in his career that the NHL isn't the be-all, end-all for a professional hockey player. That isn't to say he didn't try to live the NHL dream. He skated in the American Hockey League, East Coast Hockey League, and United Hockey League. Neither was a fit for the six-foot-four forward who wanted to play the game with skill, so Europe became his hockey home. You know, you learn quickly when you, I was playing in the minors how small a percentage and, and a lot of things have to go right and to make that happen. And when you look outside the box and you look overseas and how many leagues there are and the opportunities and the lifestyle, it, it just made sense to me. It's not the Stanley Cup and it's far from your typical hockey journey. But Kelly's story is one he wants every hockey player to know about and hopefully experience. As he looks back on his time overseas, he's lived the professional hockey dream. Just a slightly different version, but one every bit as rewarding. It was great. It kind of became my second home. You know, looking back now, I played 14 years in Europe and I'm 38 when I retired. So it was a good run and, and uh, the experience, like the life experience I learned, is something you can't put a price on. Jay Janower. Global Sports. Bietenheim, Bissingen. That's where he yeah. played, which is a smaller town in southern Germany. Here's your snow report for this evening. Whistler Blackcomb will be opening on Thursday, November 28th. Pretty exciting. Grouse, Cypress, Sasquatch, and Manning Park still waiting to find a date. Revelstoke and Fernie, though, will open this Saturday. Kicking Horse, December 6th. Big White and Silver Star opening this Thursday also. Sun Peaks is open, though. Minus 12, though, so a little brisk. As for Apex, it will open on December 7th. Mount Washington still waiting to find a date. Whitewater, December 6th. Red Mountain, December 12th. And Powder King, a pretty nice base for this time of year at 156. 
Well, it's no secret that brick and mortar stores are losing ground to the convenience of online shopping. But a growing number of retailers are fighting back with services and perks you just can't get online. Tis the season to get customers into stores and keep them there. To compete with the convenience of online shopping, many businesses are changing the in-store experience. Lots of options to eat and drink. Uh, a beauty haven, which is a full floor of beauty services from blowouts to waxing and brow bars. Nordstrom in New York City is focused on providing services you can't get in front of a computer. Part of the in-store experience at this Nordstrom, having food delivered to you while you shop. And for the non-shoppers in your house, a martini bar to wait it out. The Nordstrom's like my second home. I'm going to shop after I get beautified. <laughs> in Los Angeles, Casper Mattress allows people to take naps on the merchandise. Something that you use every day for sleep, I thought we'd come to this store and to actually try it out. At Levi's, shoppers can customize their jeans on site. Did you want it this size or did you want to get it bigger? And in Chicago, Lululemon has yoga classes and meditation rooms. I love being able to come in and do more than just shop. From inner peace to beauty and cocktails, stores finding innovative ways to keep customers coming back. Vicki Wynn, NBC News, New York. I'd like to be able to come in and do anything but shop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys Apparently you can. Anti-shoppers, that's yeah. right. Uh, hey, uh, before we do a quick word on weather, watch for transit strike updates throughout the evening on BC1 and on the Global News at 11 here tonight. Could be some action later. Mm -hmm. We'll let you know. It's a midnight deadline. Mm -hmm. All right, Final last word. word. So it's going to be cold and dry and sunny this week, but I urge you to remember we're going to see strong outflow winds in the Fraser Valley and southeast metro Vancouver likely through the day tomorrow. Bundle up, everyone. Have a good night. Flannel sheets on the bed already.